The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning, Fathom Church. Uh, My name is Kyle Knight. I'm the youth pastor and one of the elders here at Fathom. Uh, Good to see you all on the Sunday after Easter. He is still risen. There you go. I guess that's an appropriate response to that. Um, So welcome to all of you joining us here. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to get right into it. Open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have your Bibles, you can grab one underneath every chair. That'll be on page 247. Or open up your phone or your tablet. Whatever it is, we've got a a long story to go through uh, this morning. So I want you all to see it um, in front of you. But um, let me go ahead and start with uh, asking you all a question. Now, this is a rhetorical question, okay? So you don't need to raise your hand with this. You don't need to embarrass yourself, all right? No need to embarrass yourself. But um, have you ever done anything dumb in your life? I said don't need to raise your your hand, you guys. Um, Have you ever done anything dumb? Have you ever made made a stupid decision, made a foolish decision, or done something dumb in your life? Hopefully you're thinking of that right now. Um, And maybe maybe a story comes to your mind right now. Maybe there's like that one thing um, that you always go back to whenever you get asked that question. But I'm just wondering if you've ever done anything like that. Because the, the truth is we've all done something dumb in our lives before, some more than others, right? I'm not going to make any eye contact with anybody on that one, but some more than others. Um, But all of us have done something dumb or foolish in our lives. And in fact, I was um, as I was prepping for the sermon this week, I asked my wife um, if she wanted to help me out with with this. And so I asked her, I was like, hey, honey, um, can can we can you help me think of anything that I've done that's just been dumb before? Um, the first thing is don't ask that question because um, you don't want to hear all, all the, the response to that. But she was um, all too happy, uh, way too happy to be uh, writing a list and, and helping me out with this sermon. But she did remind me of, she reminded me of something, something, the, uh, a time where um, I made a dumb decision and it actually wasn't that too long ago. I want to bring you guys back to about mid-March in 2020, Okay. Now, I know that date, we all, yeah, we all kind of know that date, that's kind of triggering for us, but um, we all know that time. I, I, I wasn't working here. I was working for a medical device company. I was on their marketing team doing um, some volunteer mobilization, some online engagement, but I really wasn't enjoying my job. I didn't, I didn't like my job. Um, so work was really hard. I hadn't liked my job for a while up until that point. Um, and then on top of that, it was March 2020. And so at this point, it was early on in COVID things. Um, and I had been exposed early on to whatever it was. And um, somebody had symptoms. Again, this was early, so we didn't really know what was going on. And so I had to go home. So I had to be at home and quarantine away from my family even. And my wife owns a business and she runs out of our house with little kids. And so she had to shut down everything too um, for like a week or two weeks, whatever it was. So, um, so I was at home and then everybody started working from home. And so I was still working from home, but there was just all that uncertainty, that fear that we were all kind of feeling of what was coming next. And, um, you know, as crazy as the, the world was with all that uncertainty and even with the near future of what was going to happen, I was still working this job that I didn't really like, 
and I was still unhappy with my job. And so I was working from home. It was close to, to April at this point in 2020, and I just couldn't take it. And so I quit my job. I quit my job beginning of April 2020, beginning of this global pandemic uh, that lasted a few years with all this uncertainty of people losing jobs and not being in work during that time um, and this uncertainty with pretty much everything. I quit my job because I didn't like it. I, I wasn't happy. Like, I didn't like my boss. It was really tough on me. And so I made that decision to quit my job in April 2020, which was a pretty dumb decision. Um, and I forgot to mention one thing. Um, my wife was pregnant at the time, um, which made it an even worse decision. Uh, she was pregnant with our second. So just pile that on top of that. Uh, you know, I quit my job in April 2020, not having another job lined up. And my wife was pregnant with baby number two. Um, so that was probably one of the dumbest decisions I've made in my life. Now, looking back, that led me here to Fathom. So it's not all dumb, I guess. Maybe not at, at the moment it was. Um, but you see, we're, we are all prone to, to doing something stupid. We've all done something foolish. And hear me, we're all prone towards foolishness. But what we're going to see here in this text today is something more than maybe just a silly decision that we made or a dumb decision that we, we made even years ago or last week or something like that. We're going to see how everyone is prone towards foolishness um, and we're going to see that apart from God, we are all fools. And even with God, we have our moments of foolishness. And because of sin in our lives, we live in foolishness and we, and we really just stray away from God's design of, for our lives, his plan for our lives, which is to live in his presence and therefore live apart from foolishness. So we're going to see here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25 um, how, how we live as fools and we do foolish things. We're prone towards foolishness, but we're also going to see that God is faithful to us. And it's, it's through God's faithfulness to us that ultimately redeems us of our foolishness. And so I'm calling this sermon, Acting a Fool. Okay, Acting a Fool, because we'd be acting a fool, uh, just like this story. Okay, so we're going to read this story. We're going to go through 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25, and this is a different story, different than what we've been sort of hearing the last few weeks, even like take yourself back to before Easter. Um, this is different than the Saul and David kind of stuff here. We're going to put that on pause a little bit, uh, but we're going to go through this story. I'm not going to read through every single verse, but I do want, I will summarize um, the whole chapter for you in, in certain areas. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll come back for some applications towards the end. So let's get into it. And so open your Bibles up if you don't haven't already to 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to start with verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Now I want to pause there for just a second. Kind of a rough start to this chapter, right? Like Sam, Samuel, the namesake of this book and the one after, the one we've been, this book that we've been studying for, for two years now, uh, the prophet Samuel, the one who anointed Saul as the first king over Israel, the one who, who found David and anointed him as the next king over Israel, he, he dies and he gets one verse on his death. Not even a verse, like half of a verse on his, his death. Now, it, it's important, though. It's important to stop here uh, before we move on to our actual story because this is a big deal 
all right? And we have to reflect on the impact of Samuel's death, okay? Just for, just for a minute, especially the impact it had on David, right? Because remember, Samuel was the one who went out and found David, right? Right? After Saul had, had screwed, screwed things up with being this whole, this whole king thing, God sent Samuel to go find David, the son of Jesse. He found him doing the whole shepherding sort of thing, right? And then, and then Samuel anoints David as the next king. Like Samuel was David's biggest fan, right? His biggest supporter. Samuel loved David and David loved Samuel. He trusted Samuel, if you remember like what we've been hearing the last like few weeks and few months even of, of Saul coming after David, wanting to, wanting to kill David, um, a lot of that in, in David's panic and fear and uncertainty, he would, he would run. And a lot of times he would run to Samuel. We would see him run to Samuel like Samuel was, was David's safe place. He was David's mentor. And so now we've learned that Samuel has died. And it's important because this gives us a little bit of insight into maybe how David was probably feeling at this moment, especially with this story, this chapter, what he was going through, um, which might help us make a little bit sense about what happened next. But that's, so that's where we're at. That's where we start this chapter is that Samuel has died. So let's keep, let's keep going. So now Samuel has died, verse one. Now Samuel has died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of this man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. All right, let's pause there. So we're introduced to a few new characters, right? A few new characters. First, we meet a man named Nabal. Nabal was, um, he lived in Carmel. He, it says he was very rich. He had a lot of sheep and a lot of goats. But then it also says that Nabal um, was a harsh and badly behaved guy, Right? And Nabal's name literally translates to fool. Okay, fool. Now, there are a lot of bad names out there. Let's just put that out there. There are a lot of bad names out there. Like, like we, we know that. I remember um, with, my, with my wife when we were trying to come up with baby names, right? When you have a, when you have a kid, you got to come up with a, a good name for them. And um, especially for our first um, Austin, who's now almost seven. But I remember the difficult process of like how that was super, super hard. We each had our lists and everything. Hers was a lot longer than my list, but like ladies, you, you might have a list. And maybe that started back when you were 13 years old of all the names you would name your kids. Fellas, we had a list that just, hopefully it was a name that your kid wouldn't be made fun of for later. That's pretty much how that goes. Uh, but this guy's name literally meant fool, not off to a good start with Nabal. Hopefully it wasn't his given birth name, right? My guess and my belief in this is that going off of the story that we're gonna read um, and learning more about him is that it was a nickname given to Nabal, which is not a good nickname. Um, so we have Nabal, the fool, uh, and then we're introduced to his wife, Abigail, who our only description of Abigail right now is that she is discerning and beautiful, and her name literally translates to, my father is joyous. So quite the opposite 
of her and her husband. I guess opposites do attract. This is a perfect example of that. Um, So we have some new characters. Those are our characters now. David, of course, no Saul in this um, until the very, very last little bit. Uh, But now we have Nabal and Abigail. And so to summarize the next few verses for you guys, Nabal has a lot of sheep. He has a lot of sheep, a lot of goats. And it says in verse three that he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, what this pretty much meant was like, this was a big, big old sheep shearing party, right? There was a big festival going on, a big party because of this. Now, back in those times when someone was shearing their sheep and their goats, one would throw a big old party, right? A big old party for everyone in the town because this meant a few things. Like this meant that the person shearing these sheep and, and these goats would have, would have wool to sell. They'd make a huge profit, but it's really just, it was a time to celebrate, It was a big party. Everybody was happy there, um, especially the one who owned the sheep and the goats, which was Nabal. So he was having this big old party. The whole town was invited for, invited to. And then then there's David. And this is right after David had spared Saul's life, right? Remember a few weeks ago before Easter, um, what Saul was doing in the cave. We all remember that. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for that one. Um, We all remember what Saul was doing in the cave, right? And then, and then David, uh, David spared his life. But David hears that this guy Nabal is throwing a big party, a sheep shearing party, and David realizes that he's got a lot of people that are hungry and thirsty and that need supplies. Um, And so at this point, David's got a lot of people with him. David's kind of built up his, his, really his tribe, his people of family and those close to him. He's got a lot of people and he's their leader. He's their king. And so he needs to provide for these people. So he needs some food and water and supplies. And so David sends a few of his people over to Nabal um, to hopefully get in on this party sort of thing that that's going on and, and, and to get some food and supplies. And now, there's a reason why David is sending his people to this, to this guy, not just because there's a party, okay, um, for some food and supplies. Uh, in verses five through eight, we learn that, uh, that David realizes, oh, I, I know this guy. Like, oh, that's, that's Nabal. I know this guy. And we've actually been watching over his shepherds for quite a while. Like we've been keeping them safe. David's been sort of protecting Nabal's shepherds and watching over them. David's sort of like a mob boss here that he's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep them safe. Like, don't worry, no one's gonna, no one's gonna mess with them because no, no one messes with me. And so David sends some of his people to Nabal to tell him, hey, pretty much, hey, you know, we've been really good to you. We've been watching over your, your shepherds now for a while. And, and now my, my people are in need. Uh, it would be great if you helped us out a little bit. It's kind of like, we'll scratch your back if you scratch ours sort of thing. Um, and so David and his men, he sends send some of his men and he gives them very specific instructions on what to tell Nabal, right? So the first thing he says, he says, hey, tell them we're coming in peace, right? You need to start with that. Like we're coming not to wage war on you or anything like that, but also tell them you're coming in my name. That's what David's saying. Say, like, tell them David sent you. Okay, ask him for some food and drink and supplies and all that and, that, and let him know, hey, we've been really good with your shepherds watching, watching over them. And so David's kind of thinking this party thing, it's festival time, everyone's happy. Um, this is a great time to ask for that. So let's, let's pick up in verse 10 and read. Uh, this is Nabal's response to David's men coming and asking for those things, okay? So in verse 10, and Nabal, Nabal answered David's servants, who is David 
Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all this. So you don't have to be a pastor or a Bible expert to understand. Like that was not the reaction David was hoping for, right? That was, that was not a, Nabal starts off telling David's messengers, who's David, who? Like who's, who's David? I mean, who's, who's David? Like everyone in Israel knew about David uh, this was the giant slayer, right? Like everyone knew David's name. And this was Nabal's response to David's men. Da- David who? Don't know the guy. I don't know. I mean, on top of that, on top of this, this whole David who, he kind of says, um, I'm not giving any of my things, even though I have a lot to anybody that I don't know. There's not a chance. So see you later. You can go on your way and Nabal pretty much insults David to his face and his men go away. Um, Just probably not a good thing. So David's men head back to David and tell him what Nabal says. Okay, now we're gonna pick it up in verse 13. Now we get David's response to this. Okay, this is when it gets good. David's response to this. Verse 13. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. This is David's response to this. David's response is to tell all of his men, hey, strap on your swords. We're, we're going to war. It's, t- it's time to fight. David grabs his sword as well. And, and essentially what we'll, what we'll learn a little bit later on is that David had intentions to completely wipe out every male from Nabal's family. Like those were his his intentions. Those were David's intentions. Needless to say, he wasn't that happy with how Nabal responded to him. He wanted his revenge. Now I find David's reaction pretty interesting, obviously for many levels, but for one of what we just studied a chapter back in, in chapter 24. Now, if you can remember back before Easter, just one chapter earlier, we read um, how David had this perfect opportunity to kill Saul, right? To, to put an end to all this, really to, to get Saul before Saul got David. Um, Saul was doing his business in the cave and um, even David's men were like, this is your opportunity. This is it. Go take your shot. And what was David's reaction then? It was no. No, it wasn't like, it's not the right time. It's not God's time. And so if you remember, David cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Um, we saw David showing just massive restraint there, right? And showing so much self-control and he didn't give in to the, his, his feelings and his emotions. And now just one chapter later, we see a totally different David, right? Like we see a David that after just being insulted, after being told no, He's like a toddler being told no, like they don't like that. Um, he flips a switch, he throws a fit, and, and his reaction is he wants to kill everybody in this guy's family. So, so why, like why that reaction now from David? And um, well, if we, if we remember the reasons why David didn't go through with killing Saul last chapter um, in, in the cave, and yes, it wasn't God's timing, but also it was because Saul was God's anointed king, Right? 
you guys remember that, I'll put this verse up on the screen, 1 Samuel uh, 24, verse six. And this is what David said to his men. He said, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. That's, that's interesting to me. Like David shows this restraint against Saul, like even though Saul has been chasing him and wanting to kill him for years, David still respects and fears the Lord's decision to anoint Saul as the first king over Israel. So he doesn't want to go against God. And so he thinks on that and he decides not to go through with it. And, and so now we see David's met with another decision, right? Where he acts the complete opposite. Um, and at the drop of a hat, he, he wants to take out his anger and his rage on this guy and his whole family. But Nabal isn't the anointed king over Israel, right? Like it's different than Saul. Like this is, this is just some guy, some, some rich guy who told him no and made him look bad in front of his people, right? And so David's initial gut reaction um, would be a decision that would for the rest of David's life forever alter his, his course. Like that's, this would absolutely ruin him if he went through with it. And so what, is, what does this show us a little bit? Like, like what, what does this show us? That, that even David, the next anointed king over Israel, a man after God's own heart, showed incredible restraint, right? From doing evil and falling into foolishness one day can still fall into foolishness the next day. Even David, David, King David acts a fool. And, and we'll see this is only really the beginning of his foolishness. And like this could be a massive turning point for, for David. This could change everything until, let me summarize the next few verses for us. So um, at this point, one of Nabal's men, probably like one of his servants, overhears David's men and their request um, from David to Nabal. And so they, so they hear, they're there, they hear what David's men are asking for, the food and, and, the, and the supplies and everything like that. Hey, because we've been watching over your, your sheep and all that. Um, and then they, the, the servant hears Nabal's response back to David and how he sends him on his way. Um, so what this servant does is the servant takes that information and goes back and tells Nabal's wife what he heard. Right, so this man goes to Abigail, remember, discerning and beautiful Abigail. That's what we know about her. And he pretty much says to this, he says, hey, Abigail, listen, um, this is David. Like the David just walked in here. Um, now I know your husband says he doesn't know him. Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he's not, but we all know David. We all know this guy. Um, and David's asking for some things in, in repayment because he's been watching over us, keeping us uh, safe. Uh, and your husband rejected him, kind of laughed in his face and, and sent them away. This is not good, Abigail. Like, this is not good. And by the way, this guy doesn't get the, the, the credit he deserves, whoever he was. Like, he, he was the one who actually stepped up and actually said something. So that guy's a boss. Way to go. Without him, none of this probably would have happened. Um, so let's, let's move on. And now in verses eight, 18 through 22, now we have Abigail's reaction to this. Okay. Abigail's reaction. I want to I start reading in verse 18. It says, Then Abigail made haste. We'll pause there. Without hesitation, without hesitation, this woman married to a fool of a man 
who just insulted David, made haste. And what she did was she, she quickly gathered everything she could find to make this care package that she could deliver to David and his people herself. She gathers up uh, food, sheep, grain, fruit, lots of loaves of bread, wine, um, and she leaves her fool of a husband and rides on a donkey, hopefully to, to, to intercede, to, to get to David before David gets to them and something bad happens, right? She wants to, to get there as soon as possible so that David doesn't do anything bad. Abigail was, was discerning. She was wise. She knew who David was, and she knew the man she was married to. So she gathered everything she could, and she brought it to David as a gift. Now it says that she rode on a donkey towards David and his men um, as his men were already strapped up. They had already gotten their swords and they were all, all hundreds of them riding towards that city. And really this makes me just like, this would be the perfect movie. Um, this makes me think of any like big action scene in the movie, like Lord of the Rings style, where there's a, there's a whole army. You got this huge army that's, that's ready to fight. They're angry, they're hungry, they're desperate, but they're also led by their warrior king who, who has, is filled with rage and vengeance and he just wants to take it out, his, his hate out on someone and they're coming down this hill super, super fast headed towards the city that they plan on completely destroying and killing everyone in it and then you see off in the distance a few little, a few little I almost said camels a few little donkeys, almost as bad a few little donkeys, right? riding towards them and on one of the donkeys, probably not going that fast because it's a donkey, one of those donkeys is a woman and they're getting closer and they're getting closer. And at some point, this army, they get so close, this army stops dead in its tracks. It stops and stops right in front of this woman and her few donkeys that have these supplies. And this woman gets off of her, stops and gets off of her donkey now, this, this next part, I believe, is like one of the coolest, most humble and brave things that you'll see in the Old Testament of what Abigail does. And so Abigail approaches David and his men, and then now we have like about 10 verses of what's called Abigail's speech. Um, this is the longest speech written down from a woman in the Old Testament. And so I want to give the highlights of this speech, all right? And so first, uh, we can't overlook the very first thing Abigail does. The very first, as she has come face to face with David and his hundreds of men who all have swords ready to kill her husband and their whole family, she positions herself. She gets off her donkey. She positions herself as you would for a king. So check this out in verse 23. It says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She, she knows who, this, who David is. She's heard the stories. She knows the God that David serves and she fears God. And she honors David as king in sharp contrast from her husband, right? And that's the first thing, that's the first thing she does. Just like when she heard this news, first thing she does is she made, she made haste and she put it together, that, that gift basket together for her, her, from herself, that's the first thing she does when she's met with David and his men. And that, I mean, that got me just thinking of like, is that ever our first reaction when, when we go to our king? 
When we're, man, when we, when we, need, to, we need to go to God with something, whether it's prayer or we're in need or we're in a panic or anything like that, when is our first reaction ever to, to, to take our stance as we would before our king and our savior and fall at our face? That was her first response. The second thing about what Abigail does in, in her speech as she starts speaking to David, she assumes the guilt of her husband on herself. Right in the next verse, she says this, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. She understands her husband is an absolute fool, right? She, so she says, on me alone, be this guilt. She has nothing to do with this. She has done nothing wrong, and yet she still wants to take the, the, all this blame on herself. Blame, blame me for this. Put this on me, please. And the third thing she does is Abigail says something that prevents David from continuing on with this act of foolishness that David was gonna do. This act of vengeance. This act that would ultimately put David's life on a much different course. And she reminds David of who he is and who God is. Right, so check this out in verse 28. She says this, she says, Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord, your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel. Now, Abigail prevents David from screwing this whole thing up and going against the law of God. Like, it's almost like she's saying, hey, we know God has appointed you as king. Don't screw this up for doing something so foolish. Like, don't be so foolish here. Don't screw this up. God has placed Abigail right in David's path to stop him from going any further and disobeying God. It's like Abigail, as she got off that donkey, had this huge stop sign and was like, you just gotta stop. And it worked. It worked. And we actually see at this moment, um, almost this moment of clarity where, where David sort of snaps back to reality, right? It's like he snaps out of this foolish rage fit that he was in. And we see both David and Abigail come to realize that God had providentially put Abigail in David's path at that moment to pre prevent him from doing something completely foolish. To prevent David from acting foolish and therefore changing the trajectory of his entire life towards more becoming a fool instead of becoming the chosen anointed king. Now, to, I want to summarize the rest of the story really quick here so we can get some, to some application for us. Um, after David realizes that Abigail had just helped him prevent him from doing something really stupid, um, he, he blesses Abigail. Like, he's finally like, I get it. I totally got it. I understand. He blesses Abigail, and he sends her back home. And he sends her back home saying, hey, I'm not going to do that to your husband and to your family. I'm going to stop. We will go back to, don't worry about that. But he blesses her and sends Abigail back home. Now, at this point, Abigail wants to go back home and tell her husband how she just saved his butt, 
right? Just saved his life. She wants to go back and say, hey, look what I did for you. I want to show you what I just did for you. But she finds her husband, Nabal, still partying, and he's completely drunk. He's acting a fool. He's going crazy, not a care in the world. And so what she does is she says, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep. I will tell him in the morning when he's actually of the right mind. And so morning comes and Abigail tells Nabal how she rode out on a donkey towards David and his men as they were coming to slaughter him and his family. And what happens to Nabal? Look at verse 37. It says this, In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So on hearing this news of what Abigail did to save him and his family right in the face of David, says Nabal, like Nabal pretty much has a stroke, right? And he kind of falls into a coma for about 10 days. And then after 10 days, it says the Lord struck Nabal dead. And because of Nabal's foolishness and God's right justice, God strikes him dead. And at the end of the story, um, we see that David has, has caught wind and he's heard that Nabal has died. And so he sends for Abigail to come and marry him and become his wife. And so they get married, which is, which is super weird. If you've been following us in this first Samuel series, you might've remembered uh, Michael, right? Saul's daughter, Michael, and how Michael and David were married, right? This, this made David Saul's son-in-law. So like, what happened with all that? What's going on with that? Well, the last verse in this chapter mentions that Saul had given David's wife, Michael, to some other guy. Now, we're not going to go into that right now because that's a lot and that'll be brought up later. So I won't spoil that. Um, but so with all that, that that's our story. But I want to go into some applications for us as we kind of start wrapping this up. So let me wrap this up by giving us two applications of what we can take from the story about David and Abigail and Nabal. And the first one, the, this first point I want to make is this, is that we are all fools. You're welcome. We are all fools. And as sinful human beings, we are prone to foolishness, just doing silly things or sometimes dumb things or stupid decisions and not just doing those, but also living as a fool, living like fools. Nabal was a fool, right? He didn't just make those silly little foolish decisions here and there. He actually lived his life like a fool, his whole life was being a fool. And now, now what is a fool? Right? A fool is someone who lives his or her own life their own way. Right? And in doing that means that he or she lives apart from God, lives away from God. Living a fool's life is living life apart from God's designed plan of life for you. That's what Nabal did. That was just his whole life. He didn't care about David who David was. He didn't care about God. He did his own thing. And speaking of his own things, Nabal, if you remember, Nabal only cared about his own things, right? And and foolishness is thinking that what we have is our own, that everything is ours. 
And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that back in verse 11, we already read this, but Nabal uses the possessive pronoun my four times. And this is when David is asking him for some things, some, some repayment after he's been watching over his flock. And he says this, he says, nah, man, this is my bread, my water, my meat, my shears. You know what that sounds like? My two-year-old daughter. <laughs> Everything is hers. Everything is hers. It's mine, mine, mine. Everything is, is hers. Everything of her brothers is hers. Um, I set my phone down on the couch between me and her just the other day, just for a second, and she takes it and walks away and she goes, my phone. She's my phone. Well, I guess that's your phone now. Everything is hers. She thinks everything is hers. And so Nabal didn't just do these dumb little things sometimes. He lived life like a fool. Now, on the other hand, we see David... We see David who is acting foolishly. Like he, he obviously believes in God and fears God and respects him, unlike Nabal. He's been following God's plan up until now, and now he makes a really foolish, dumb decision. It could have been very costly. He acted outside of God's plan designed for him. He acted a fool. And I believe, and this is where I believe, church, I believe that, that we all fall into one of these two categories, right? Like we're either like Nabal, right? Maybe, maybe we're here and we don't know God. Like maybe we don't know God. Maybe we don't care to, right? And, and therefore we're living a life of foolishness day in and day out apart from God. Or maybe we're living like David, Right? We, know, we know God, maybe we call ourselves a Christian, we have a relationship with him, and most days we're pretty good at following God's plan for our lives and what he has for us, but we just make dumb decisions sometimes, right? Sometimes those are silly, stupid decisions, but sometimes those decisions are bigger and they could lead us in the direction that goes apart from God. So I'd ask you, where do you fit in with this today? Like, Do you even know God. Like maybe you don't. Like, are you just living a, a life of, like a fool's life, not caring about anything, indulging a life about your things, your possessions. It's all about you. And you're just throwing away because you just want to live that fool's life. Or maybe are you being just foolish right now in some of the decisions that you're making? Right? Knowing full well, maybe God has a different plan for you, but you're making some bad decisions. You're going off of your feelings. Maybe you're going off of some anger that's getting the best of you and that's leading towards destruction. Yes, you aren't living the life of a fool, but boy, you sure are, sure are acting like one every now and then. And my second application for us today, like even though we know we are all fools and we're foolish and that it's, it, this is a good thing, and here's the hope of this, is that our God is faithful in our foolishness. Yes, we are all foolish, but our God is faithful in our foolishness. You see, both Nabal and David needed someone to step in for them, to intercede on their behalf because of their foolishness. Like Nabal brought judgment on himself because he was living the life of a fool. David acted foolishly, but yet God was still faithful and sent him this amazing woman, Abigail, to talk some sense into him. You see, church, we have an Abigail, an even better Abigail. 
It was, it was Jesus who stood in the way of God's justified wrath towards us and our foolishness. And he died for it. He took all of our foolishness on himself. And just like Abigail, it was Jesus who came in all humility to intercede on our behalf. And just like Abigail, it was Jesus who took on all that guilt on himself, even when he was not the one being foolish. But unlike Abigail, Jesus died for it. He died for us. And God showed his faithfulness in raising him from the dead. It's what we celebrated just this last week. Because of Jesus's faithfulness, we can be redeemed from our foolishness. That's our hope, church. That's our hope. We are all bent toward being foolish, but God is faithful to intercede and to protect us from ourselves and from our own foolishness. So maybe, maybe your life is like Nabal's, right? Maybe you, you've built it on, on other things, on wrong things. You're just living that life outside of God's design plan for you. So let me just tell you that you have an intercessor, right? Jesus came to intercede your foolishness on your behalf and take that to the cross with him so that you can live a life free of foolishness. Maybe you can resonate more with the foolishness of David. Like, you know, God, like you have a relationship with God. You believe in his design plan for your life. Maybe you know how it feels to be, to be doing really well one day, like to be following God's plan for you one day, but then totally screw it up the next day. Well, then maybe you just need to be reminded of the gospel and how Jesus took your foolishness to the cross. And that this is a, a daily thing, a day after day after day thing that since, since Jesus has already conquered that sin for you, maybe you need to be reminded that he's given you the power to walk away from your foolishness. You can. And then maybe God is calling you to be an Abigail for someone else, right? To not just wait around, but to make haste, right? To go help someone, like right now, like maybe God has put someone in your life, someone on your heart right now that needs you to run to them and remind them of his faithfulness and that they don't need to live in their foolishness anymore. So don't wait on that. God's using you. Don't miss those opportunities. Will you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for this this story, God, um, God, this, this message of we are all broken people, we are all sinful, um, and we all fall into our own foolishness all the time, God, but the hope is, God, is that you have already conquered that on the cross. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are so foolish. God, I, I, I wanna pray for those who, who do know you right now, um, who do have a relationship with you right now, who might think that everything's going well, God, but, but they're making foolish decisions. God, I want to pray for those, those that, 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 that seem to have it all together one day, but then just, then just screw it up the next day, God, and we, and we fall into our foolishness. God, I just pray that you, you help us, re, re, help remind us, Jesus, what you did on the cross for us. We just celebrated this past Easter, God, of, 
how you just took that all on yourself. And God, I, I pray for all of us in that, in that spot, God, that we can know that you have given us that power to not live in our foolishness, God. God, I pray for those who maybe don't know you. Maybe you don't know you at all. Maybe you don't care to, God, but they're living their, their life of, of foolishness, God, that you will just, God, lay it on their heart that of what you did on the cross. God, that you've already stepped in in between them and their, their foolishness and their consequences, God, for their foolishness, God. And I just pray for them, God, that they would just give you their life so they don't have to live in their foolishness anymore. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this, this message, God. We just pray that as we go throughout um, our lives, our days, God, that we will just remember you on the cross and what you did for us and how you interceded with us. And God, I pray that we can do the same for others, God, that we could be that, that wise person that helps those know, God, that you are good and you are faithful, even when we are foolish. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.